welcome back to the Master Engineer Podcast. I am, as always, your host, Stotak Andrei. Uh, you're listening to episode 32, in which I am welcoming back Larry McDonald for the continuation of episode 30, uh, which was mostly about the energy in component of diets. And in this one, we talk about the other side of the coin, so to speak, which is the energy out component. And um, we mainly contrasted uh, Adam Levine's neat or non-exercise activity thermogenesis with um, Herman Ponser's constrained energy expenditure model. Basically, the whole episode is a long uh, discussion between us. Lyle went over the components of energy expenditure and sort of we discussed all of them. And then we sort of discussed the realities surrounding energy expenditure and how much activity people uh, do get or can get in each day and so on and so forth. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope you find it valuable. And without further ado, let's hear Mr. Lyle McDonald. Okay, so um, it seems like a great segue to talk about need because there are two kind of concepts that kind of seem to butt head with each other. So on one end, we have James Levine's need. And on the other hand, we have Herman Ponser's constrained energy expenditure model. I don't know. Have you heard of that? Oh, yes. Okay. So like basically, uh, Levine's is, is uh, I don't know, theory or um construct is that you know you move more you burn more calories and that explains why you can remain leaner uh, maintain higher calories and that kind of stuff and herman's uh bonsers um uh model is basically says that you know after a certain uh while your body will kind of just adapt and somehow reduce the calorie burn become more efficient basically and we reduce it some other way and um, he uh, and I recommend to the listeners to check out his interview with Danny Lennon on the Sigma Nutrition. I mean, Le- Levine invented NEAT. Like he was the first paper that did it and gave it that really, unfortunately, like scientists have decided to become com- comedians and I'm really tired of it. And he was just like resistance to obes- obesity, a neat explanation. Just like, oh, for goodness sake, like really? Jesus, good God. And now every scientist wants to be a comedian, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and Ponser, like, uh, Danny asked him about this, and he was like, who knows, maybe we don't, like, we have this idea that, you know, we have resting energy, energy expenditure and thermic effect of feeding and then physical activity and then neat, and that's it. He said that maybe there's a fifth component, who knows. And I'm just curious, because, like you mentioned, step counts, and, like, I work in a gym, and... Like that means an eight-hour shift, and sometimes I come back um, in the afternoons or in the early morning to train clients. So, um, my average is twenty thousand. Yeah, <laughs> so, right, exactly. So, and I'm almost ninety kilos, and for the past month, like I've been maintaining my weight, and I track my calories now. I'm not one hundred percent obsessive, but let let's say I'm ten percent off, which I don't think I'm more than that. Let's say I have been eating thirty. 6 3700 calories i mean at almost 200 pounds uh 5 days of training to 20000 steps you know that i should still be in a deficit i mean and of those calories a bunch of that was protein which like i was over 300 grams of protein each day i de- uh, in theory should burn off or at least a certain amount of calories should have been burned off as the numbers are i mean that's 18 calories a pound that's that's reasonable i mean i don't i mean like i said to get to 20 calories a pound 
consistent daily energy expenditure like that that takes some work like I know step count really does add up um, but there there is also the adaptations and I think that's kind of what what we're getting at so just just for okay so quick quick presses and actually we never really did kind of get back to the idea of alternating maintenance for as long a period of time as you diet and I do I, I like I think there's some legitimacy legitimacy to that right of dieting down in stages but now we're looking at, I mean, when are, if someone's going to use that for contest prep, what are they starting, a year and a half out? Or was that just not a contest prep? Like, and I do, like, I do think to a degree, like, oh, I'm going to diet down to 10 and I'm going to go immediately into bulk. No. You need to settle down for a few weeks or longer. And I've written about maintenance stuff on my site for, you know, for both directions. Oh, I've gained a bunch of muscle. I'm going to go straight back into dieting. No, 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 no. Adaptation has, does not end the day you stop training hard, right? Give it a few weeks, right? You can maybe clean, whatever. Wait, there's no rush. You don't have to start diet right back down and you, some, there seems to be more, proportionally more muscle loss. Same, so I, I agree with it in concept, certainly. I don't know that you have to do an equal amount, right? We know that most of the metabolic adaptations are fixed at two weeks. There may be benefits in terms of I mean, there might be other long-term benefits. Set point doesn't ever seem to really change. Gives you a chance to get your training ramped back up. It probably gives you a psychological chance to kind of learn to maintain at that level, if that makes any sense. Right? A lot of people died straight down, and I mean, I whatever. I got to seven percent once, and I mean, I must have held it for three days before I went off my diet, and it all went wrong again. Like I just I was so hungry, and like I think in that sense. And if you're trying to, you know, if you're a dude, you're 20%, yeah, diet down to 15, hang out there for a couple months, train hard, diet down to 10 to 12, stay there for a while. Um, you know, I think you mentioned, like I said, names, someone earlier in the podcast who does a 16-week prep, I bet he starts out proportionally leaner than most, right? That's And that's really the issue. The drug guys did 12-week preps. One, they had drugs, and once you could throw thyroid clone and everything else at it, none of this matters. Duchesne once wrote, you can lose 20 pounds of fat in 12 weeks with the right drugs if you diet hard enough. For a natural, as we both know, everybody thinks they're leaner than they are. Go on to any forum online. Oh, you're 16% body fat for a woman. No, you're not. You're about 24. And that leads to a lot of disappointments on contest day. right? But if you've got a male who's naturally holding 10 to 12 percent, who is kind of in the, you know, who doesn't see a lot of metabolic slowdown, who's really knows how to diet properly. I can believe a 16-week straight prep will work. I don't think for the majority it will work, right? And I think that's the difference. We look at the exceptions and go, oh, well, he pulls it off. Right, but he's by definition the guy that did pull it off, and he knows what he's doing. Especially your first couple of run-throughs, you don't. And my rule of thumb is however long you think it's going to take you to get there, double that. And if we double 16 to 32, you got to just over six months. Anyway, okay, that was that. So I agree in premise. I don't know if I would take it to quite that extreme, but whatever. We're, this is, we're picking nits. Whether you stay there for eight weeks or 16 to maintain and get used to that body fat, eh, this is, like I said, this isn't a race. All right, so energy expenditure. Four primary components, other than the, the mystical fifth that apparently Ponser has invoked, that, yeah, I'll come back to that. I think that's a cop-out. I don't. We would have known about it by now, right? When we can measure calorie expenditure in a metabolic chamber to the calorie, there's not some magical fifth component we've been missing. I'm sorry. Anyway, resting metabolic rate. 
number of calories you burn, totally at rest, represents basically it's your baseline energy expenditure. It takes calories to keep your brain working, muscles maintaining tone, heart beating, sitting up while you get bored while I talk. Like all of that takes calories, and that's resting metabolic rate. Uh, it's mostly related to lean body mass. There is a component, like body fat does burn calories. People forget about this. And it actually, two, three pounds of fat burns as many calories as a pound of muscle at rest. So honestly, if you want to raise your metabolic rate, just gaining muscle's hard. Gaining fat's easy, right? And if you're heavier, you burn more calories moving around. So like double win. And yes, I'm kidding. But people, and muscle just doesn't burn that many calories at rest. It's about six calories per pound. It's about yeah, 13 calories per six, kg. Everyone's like, gain muscle to raise metabolism. No. If you gain 10 pounds of muscle, that's 60 calories a day, uh, a day extra. Like, yeah, if you gain an absolute pile, right? If you take, if you gain 40 pounds of muscle, 18 kilos over a career, yes, that's significant. That is how many years of, of consistent hard training with a little bit of luck, right? Women might gain 20 if they're lucky. That's 120 calories a day. Yes, does it add up? Is that about 1,000 calories a week? Sure, but we're talking about three years of brutal, intensive training. And several studies have shown that over five to six months, men's metabolic, like if you train men and women, men's metabolic rate will go up by like 50 or 60 calories. And most of that is not due to the muscle mass. It's actually due to the other factors. Women, zero. They gain like three or four pounds of muscle. Hooray, you're burning 25 more calories a day. Right, it's insignificant in the short term, and it's pretty insignificant in the long term unless you're talking about big dudes. So, really, gaining muscle is a is a dead end street to raising metabolic rate. Like the the sixty calories a day, just go walk in the treadmill for ten minutes, and you've caught that up. Right? There is not as much variation in resting metabolic. Like people talk about a slow metabolism, and this is basically a myth. Like, yeah, if you're hypothyroidal clinically there's an effect there's certain disease states but by and large like you don't see people and actually people don't want to hear this the heavier you get your resting metabolic rate goes up not the other way around right this is this is provably false that that there's such a thing as a slow metabolic rate that doesn't mean there's not a low total energy expenditure but I'll come back to that. So resting metabolic rate, eh, it goes down when you diet because you're smaller and for adaptive reasons. This whole idea you cannot build metabolic capacity by gravity, that's just a bunch. doesn't work that way. Like, I mean, there's studies. Like, we overfed them by 1,000 calories a day, and at the end of eight weeks, the resting metabolic rate had gone up 100 calories. Right, and they gained five kilos of body fat. So how is that helpful? Right? <laughs> like, like, yes, they, the resting metabolic rate went up because they're bigger. So the second one is the thermic effect of food. These are the calories you burn from digesting and metabolizing food. Normal diet, it's about 10% of total calories, so it's really not that much, right? On 2,000 calories, it's about 200 calories. Higher protein diets, it's about 15%. It is a little bit higher. You generally have to replace a lot of carbs or fat with a lot of protein. Like I've seen even 20 to 30% in some studies. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm not talking about for the individual nutrients. I'm talking about the rough estimate for your total diet. Oh, okay. okay. Right, so thermic effect of fat is about 3%. Thermic effect of carbs is about 6%. So there's it was like, oh, if you switch fat out for carbs, you burn more calories. Yeah, three calories for every 100 that you switched out, you'll be ripped in two decades. Protein, you'll see between 15 and 25%. 
depending on the protein source and the form and a bunch of other stuff. But if you average that out for the standard diet, it's about 10% for the overall diet. That's where that 10% comes from. So like if you're looking at someone eating, you know, whatever, 15% protein and 60, like it's about 10% total. If you raise protein to 25 or 30%, like an athletic diet, it, the average will come up to about 15% of your total calories. Now, that does add up, right? So, you, you know, if you're on 3,000 calories a day and high protein, that 15%, like that could conceivably up to 450 calories extra burned per day. Yeah, that's what I've been saying. Like some days half of my calorie intake was from protein, like 400 grams of protein and like 30-ish, 30, you know, calories. And that, that might be another thing that Duchesne was seeing, right? He was, this was in early days. He was just going, oh, their total energy expenditure is enormous, right? And they're eating 400 grams of protein a day because they get free supplements. So, you know, and when you diet, it, it doesn't really come down that much. Like, oh, I took 500 calories out of my diet. Yeah, your TF went down by 50. Like it, it, it automatically reduces the deficit, but meh, it's not that significant. Thermic effective activity, that's formal exercise. And we might quibble over how you like, is brisk walking through the office formal exercise? Probably not. But is brisk walking on a treadmill therefore not formal exercise? I don't know. And I don't know what the current definitions, if it, like if you're walking at three miles an hour, like we have, well, we have walking treadmills. If you're walking at two and a half miles an hour on a walking treadmill at work, well, is that neat? Is that formal exercise? Yeah, it's probably any activity you go out of your way to perform deliberately. Pro yeah, like I think it probably makes more sense to define it in terms of intensity, but like I said, I haven't kept up with Voluntary it. Voluntary physical activity. Yeah, basically. it's stuff like that it. you consciously go out of your way to do. So anyway, that can vary, right? That can vary from zero if someone is inactive to enormous if someone is doing, you know, again, if you're a Tour de France cyclist on certain stages, you may be burning six to 8,000 calories in a day. Most people, if they're on an exercise program, it's somewhere between those two. And exercise does not burn nearly the calories people wish it did. It's really disappointingly low for anything but the most high volume, high intensity activity, right? People do these aerobics classes. I must have burnt 900 calories. Eh, try 350. If you're lucky, oh, well, I did high, I did interval training. I must have burned. Well, a the afterburn doesn't amount to jack squat and eh, 20 minute workout. I got bad news for you. Maybe 150, 200 calories if you're lucky. Like it's it's just really not there unless you're doing hours. You know, go be an endurance cyclist, man. You can eat anything when you're doing a five hour bike ride twice a week. You know, that's you're burning at least two to three thousand calories in that workout alone. Weight training burns, oh, it's terrible. The numbers are just awful. Like, it's something like two calories a pound per hour, right? So if you're doing, you know, if you're a 200-pound dude and you're doing, you know, a pretty, more of a bodybuilding workout, like powerlifting and Olympic lifting is even worse because you sit on your butt most of the time, you know, you might be burning 350, 400. If you're a small female at 120 pounds, that hour of weight training, if you're lucky, two to 250. Yeah, especially if it's the banded, body weight banded kind of group. Yeah, crap. like if you're training hard, it's a little bit higher, but it's just not that much. And again, does it add up over time? Sure. 200 extra calories a day is 1,400 a month, a week, which is, you know, about 30, you know, it's about a pound every third week. But it's just not that it's not that significant unless you can do a lot of it. And by definition, 
Like, it's funny, right? Endurance athletes who are generally lean are the ones that can do the most activity, and they generally don't need to, right? They, like, they don't have to worry about body fat percentage by and large. It's the people, and it's usually only trained athletes, the average overweight, unfit beginner, they, they can't burn jack squat during exercise, and they're the ones that need to, at least not for a while. Like, it can take months. I have to get somehow Corey Peacock on the podcast and uh, ask him, like, he's a strength and conditioning coach for, like, elite UFC guys like Kamaru Usman and stuff. Like, I have to ask him, how many hours do these guys train? Like, I would bet it's, like, four hours a day, like, maybe even more. <laughs> the amount of... Uh, and the types of workouts they might com- must combine must be insane. Oh yeah, like you know when you're looking at guys training those four or five hours a day, when it's a lot of metabolic work. Like as an example, right? I did ice speed skating. I trained easily four to five hours a day, but you burn nothing on the ice, right? Here was a typical sprint workout for me. I would show up and I do a 45 minute warm up. In two hours on the ice, we would do like a five minute five lap warm up which is about 2 minutes we would do standing starts which is about 30 meters we would do f- some some rat some increasing we'd maybe 10 of those was that burn maybe 20 calories if you're lucky we would do some some progressive speed work and then we would do 4 by 4 by 400 meters which is about 30 seconds on a 10 minute rest and then we would do a five lap cool down so in 2 hours on the ice maybe 20 minutes worth of total work maybe and you're cold, so you get hungry. Then I would do a 45. Like, I burned more calories sitting on the bike, warming up and cooling down, than I did on the ice. But that was that sprinters are the same way. They sprint 30 meters and rest three minutes. In two hours, they get less than nothing done. They actually burn their calories with low-intensity metabolic work on, on easy days. But some sports, right, if you're doing two hours of sparring and technique work and you're doing an hour of metabolic work, an hour of weight training a day, sure, you can get absolutely some some a lot of cap, but for most people, it's just not going to happen, and that's the sad reality. And that brings us the long way to neat, right? Non-exercise activity thermogenesis, as defined by Levine. You'll also hear it referred to as spontaneous physical physical activity, and that's not it. It describes a different thing, right? So originally, what neat was thought to be was sort of these unconscious activities that people, some people engage in, right? And Levine's original study, he put people in a metabolic ward, so no exercise. He gave them 1,000 calories extra a day, and the fat gains range from very little, a couple of kilos, up to like seven kilos or eight kilos or something. And, right, and of course a lot of people back and they were like, see, energy balance doesn't work. And I'm like, see, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't understand energy balance. It's not just calories in. What happened was their calories out went up, right? And it was all through some people fidgeted, right? We all knew that guy in school whose leg was always bouncing and always, right? They would stand up and sit back down. They would just go do these activities. And when they mathed it out, right, some people had their, their, this unconscious activity would go up by like 700 calories a day. So their true surplus was only 300. And, and that's enormous, right? So originally they thought it was just this unconscious stuff. And it's hugely genetic. There's this huge variation. Of course, by definition, if it's unconscious, it's unconscious. <laughs> so it doesn't really do you any good, right? You can't, you cannot consciously engage in fidgeting for very long. But then they started to redefine it to include these spontaneous activities that, well, these activities that occur just in day-to-day life that are not formal exercise but are not unconscious. 
And the easiest example is like taking the stairs instead of the elevator, parking further away from the store so you have to walk. This is where step counting came from. This is where like all this stuff came out of a lot of that gardening. Um, there's all kinds of activities you can do that, that occur during the day, right? If you want to get ridiculous, and this shows you how old I am, <clears throat> back in the day we didn't have remote controls on the TV. I'm talking way back in the day, right? You had to physically get up, go, I know, I know. yeah, go flip it. Well, there's some people listening to this that think I'm kidding. They use their PlayStation, <laughs> they use their their Fire Stick controller to change the channel and all this stuff, right? So just having to get up and and if you were the kid, your parents told you to go change the channel. If you were a yeah, younger yeah. sibling, your older brother told you to go do it, right? You didn't have a choice in this matter. So through through whatever you were having to get, like, was it burning a lot? No, but it but that's kind of an example of what this is. And people that work a job where they're on their feet all the time, right? I guarantee if you look at the need of someone who works at like, you know, department stores in as much as they exist, a Home Depot, which is like that's a construction store here in the U.S., stores like that, they're on their feet for eight hours. They are burning through neat far more calories. I mean the same way in the gym. <laughs> right, Trey, and that's Sumi is the same way. She's in the gym most hours. She's in the gym with me. She's, you know, she's got stuff going on. She walks walks her, her child to, to school. Like all this adds up over time, and it can add up to very significant numbers. And what you find is that, okay, resting metabolic rate, not a lot of variance from people at the same body weight. Thermic effect of food, meh. Thermic effect of exercise can be enormous if you're talking about active individuals. Neat, between any two people, can vary 2,000 calories from highest to lowest, right? There is no slow metabolism. There is a low neat level, right? That's the, that's, that's the thing. Yes, they're, they're, the overall total daily energy expenditure is lower, but it's not in the metabolic rate component, resting metabolic rate component. It's not in the food component. It's probably, it could, I mean, if they're not doing any exercise, obviously that's low, but it's in the neat component. And when they've done some cross-sectional, some comparative work, right, the more modernized the country is, the less neat. And this has been a refrain for a while. Women back in the 60s and 70s, those vacuum cleaners were monsters, right? These were 50 pounds. Women used to tear rotator cuffs with these things. Doing just general housework, burned a ton of calories. We don't hand wash dishes anymore. We don't, all that stuff. We've got a room. Yeah, I do. Dishes do. But you know, some, like a couple of years ago, my, my washing machine like broke and I had to like wash my socks for like 15 minutes. <laughs> I was right? just, it's I hard. Was, I was surprised. Yeah. It's hard <laughs> it work. I, I, somebody, a trainee I knew years ago, we would, we would track it was a body bug, an early version of this. Weight training burned nothing. She once gardened for three hours. She burned like 650 calories right? Stuff like that. And, and so it, it really adds up. And, and so if you look at like more, less modernized, like third world countries, need is much higher because they don't have, they can't drive everywhere. They can't just go, you know, have stuff delivered by them. They're having to go do stuff. I believe the UK and America is about the same. Um, in one country that I forget, women is higher than the men's because not only are the women expected to work in the fields, they're expected to do the housework. So they get doubled up on. And this stuff is really, really, really enormous. And that's where the big variations come from. So that's kind of, and, and more than that, it doesn't feel like formal exercise. A, the intensity is much lower, right? Walking on a walking treadmill, which go about two and a half miles an hour because you have to be able to work, you don't even feel that. Right, that is that is such a low pace. You will not even think. But if you go to the gym and try to do an hour at even a moderate intensity, one, 
you know you're exercising so you get bored. Exactly. <laughs> right? How how many machines and exercise classes exist? We've got TV, video games, this and that and the other, simply to keep people from going crazy. But if you're on a treadmill and you're working and suddenly, wow, I just walked for an hour, it doesn't feel like formal exercise. And there is a lot of potential there to get people increasing their energy expenditure without feeling – it's like when you trick people into eating less. They don't feel like they're dieting, but they are. <laughs> and yeah. it's kind of – it's it's – I'm going to hate myself for this. It's a neat trick if you can pull it off. Okay, sorry. <laughs> that's terrible. And um, okay, so that's the one side, right? And this is really – and I think there's ways to do it. I mean I people who put on step counters and stuff are often shocked by either how low or how high it is. Yeah, usually it's low. Huh? Usually it's low. But even that is informative, right? That tells you, okay, this is – and there's also an interesting thing, right? We know that as people diet and get leaner, often their activity and their need goes down. It's part of the adaptation, right? They get tireder. And there's, although there's an interesting data set in anorexia, in certain starvation models, there's a hyperactivity that is part of the problem, but that's a whole separate thing. But as people get heavier, often their activity, even though they would be burning more calories in activity because they're bigger, their activity, excuse me, their activity goes way down because it's harder to move a bigger body. And you frequently see that as they lose weight, their NEAT goes up, at least transiently, because suddenly it's easier to do things, and that has kind of a benefit. And even going back to the exercise thing, right, we've known for years, oh, we put people on an exercise program, they don't really lose the amount of weight you'd predict. Aha, energy balance doesn't work. No, 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 there's just changes elsewhere. Stop, stop being dumb. One of the things is people often eat more. That's highly variable, whether consciously or unconsciously. But some studies show that NEAT goes down to compensate. And I think this comes back to leads into the Ponzer model. But usually it's in older folks or when you throw beginners into very hard exercise. And one of the studies I cited in the women's book, they took overweight individuals and they either did 300 calories of exercise or 600 calories of exercise. They did it all out, and what they found is they all lost about the same amount of weight. When they did, the, however they did it, the the guys that did the 600 calories of exercise immediately went home and were tired, and their neat went down by 300. So it balanced out. Now there's a couple things to take from this: is that one, there can be a constraint. Two, this is a good reason for beginners to do less than more, right? Like, why do double the hard work in the gym that you hate for the same response? I do think, and I'm not sure if the research has shown this, like as people get fitter, that gets better. But even there, right? Look, I've done interval training for more decades than I care to think about. I don't do it anymore. You get tired, right? If you are training hard and you go bust your, bust your butt for however long, you're going to sit around more later in the day. And this happens with, with lean dieters like physique dieters. They're exhausted all the time. Even if they're training, great. That may not be changing, although they're smaller, et cetera. But they're neat. They may go home and lay around all day because they're exhausted. So suddenly their expected deficit is not their real deficit. And this can happen at the beginning stages too. That's why I hate these uh, idiot trainers who are doing like, like you know, uh, um, in a sense, I like people who aren't trained because sometimes you ha have clients who come to me from other trainers and they're like, so, okay, so two minutes of rest. What, two minutes? The other guy told me 30 seconds. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, okay. So, like, I hate those trainers where the entire goal of the workout is to 
get people tired, which is awesome. And they get tired and then they go home and just are useless for the rest of the day. Exactly. And if you build up and start slowly, that that is avoided, right? I, there's another paper I looked at and it was looking at something else, gender differences and fat and weight loss. But it took about six months to build them up from about 100 calories a day of exercise to 600. Right. And this goes back, you know, I mentioned typically exercise doesn't burn a lot of calories for beginners initially. Right. As you get fitter and progress and work a little bit harder and can do more over time, this will increase. Right. So there's two or three month studies that are like yeah, people walk for 30 minutes three times a week and the weight didn't fall off. Well, gee, when you're only burning 100 calories three times a week, I'm shocked. But, you know. In six months, as your fitness improves, that it gets better because you can handle more work. And if you do it gradually enough, you're never sore, you're never exhausted, you never completely hate what you're doing. But even there, some researchers, I think Levine himself has said, you know, increasing NEAT, it probably has the potential to burn more calories in formal exercise, right? So you go to the gym for an hour and you do a moderate intensity workout and you burn 300 calories you know, maybe five calories a minute if you're lucky. Ten if you can work pretty hard, but that's 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 working, and most beginners can't do that, right? If you're in a situation, let's say you work an eight-hour shift, and you can find a way, and you know, normally sitting, you burn what about a calorie a minute. If if with a walking treadmill or moving, you know, if you can increase that to two calories a minute, let's say for even half the day, right, four hours. Suddenly, you're burning an extra 60 calories an hour, an extra 240 calories that day. You've burned almost the same amount as in an hour of exercise that you probably hated and were bored doing without thinking about it. If you can do that for eight hours a day, you've now burned 480 extra calories just by increasing your calorie output by one calorie a minute. And I'm not saying that I'm, these numbers are made up. It's just, I'm just trying to kind of make the point. You've now burned 480 calories extra a day and never noticed. You didn't have to go to the gym and suffer for an hour and be bored and be miserable because you didn't. And that's where NEAT has really, I think, the potential to have. And that's what the researchers are kind of saying. And back to the step counter, and then I'll move on. A lot of people, I think, when they see those numbers, it turns into a game. And they go, well, I want to beat, I want to beat that. And I think gamification of a lot of this is the future. Although, wasn't there a study that showed that step counters made people neurotic or thought I saw somebody mention yeah, this recently. Yeah, it, it was something, uh, I think Andy Galpin shared this too, that, you know, after a point, people just don't care. Like, it's it's exciting initially, then it kind of just dies. You know, like the Pokemon Go phenomenon. Yeah, but that's true of everything. I mean, to, to, to dismiss a potentially useful tr tool... To me, that's kind of throwing the baby out with the bat. And I think we're going to come up with better things, right? I've, I've heard of... I think it's a huge personality thing. Is uh, Sure. Less conscious people just don't care or whatever... They're just not wired that way. And, and I mean, people forget, right? Humans, we, we evolved, or we are, I hate to say design, like we evolved to be opportunistic, right? In the, in the ancient world, going out of your way to do extra activity was not really the bright thing to do, right? Burning extra, like people laugh, you know, humans now run for entertainment. Back in the day, you ran to run down an animal and then sat around as much as humanly possible because to exercise – the Kenyan runners are hilarious. When they retire, they don't run. Running for leisure, they think that's asinine, and it probably is. But it's what we have to do in the modern environment. 
Yeah, and we used to play sports for the sake of playing them. <laughs> but but that's just, my my grandmother thought gyms were ridiculous. She gardened three hours a day and stayed fit. And yes, gyms are ridiculous. However, in the modern world, those are pretty much our only options. Like, I mean, it's different now. You can go do outside stuff and that kind of whatever. But like, that's the only way for the for the general public to you know is to do formal exercise or find a way to increase need. And I think a lot of this gamification. We're going to, you know, people like immediate rewards. They like, you know, Facebook is great at firing off the reward system when you get notifications. That sort of thing. There's a, a video game podcast I used to listen to. And one of the guys wanted to get in shape. And he downloaded a role-playing game that would have him enter his exercise. And that's how he leveled up his character. And for him, the, he didn't, the game was the important bit. Now, yeah, could you cheat? Could you lie? Sure, but why? Like, why would you bother? Right. I'm sure like I don't just go play a role playing game if you're going to lie to your program. But like uh, not fit days, some of the stuff where people would put out their workout numbers and you're like, ah, it, you get competitive and yada, yada, yada. I do think there's going to be some interesting things coming out of there. But so like I said, if you do a ton of exercise, your body adapts. This leads us to the Ponser model. So and, and so for people listening, what he's basically saying is that, OK, and you kind of describe this. So that when you add, start to try to increase your activity, eventually the body senses in, you know, and it's sensing it hormonally and there's a lot of physiological signals and, you know, our hypothalamus is constantly integrating these, these symbols. Like, and so the general idea, and this is his graphic that I will try to describe, right? So he's got total energy expenditure on the y-axis and physics. And like the general idea is, oh, the more activity you do, the more calories you burn, right? It's additive. And then his model says, okay, as you add activity, it goes up for a while, but then it levels off because as you add physical activity, the body adapts in other ways. So they did some studies on hunter-gatherers and they did double-labeled water. So I've seen those. I, the, the studies that claim that we do the exact same amount of activity as they do. And yeah, I find that excruciatingly hard to believe. And until uh, I see some pretty strong evidence, like I'm not, I'm not convinced. Okay, seriously, why can I not find this? So, so yeah, and, and like I said, you know, I mean, I, I already mentioned a study that showed that when people tried to add too much activity, things went, you know, the body ad adjusted uh, neat because people were tired. Now, in his little graphic, he just lists energy expenditure is other. He's got physical activity and then other. And I think he's assuming that, okay, if you add physical activity, the other could be resting metabolic rate. Well, it doesn't really show that that's the case. And thermic effects food is not going to change because you're doing more physical activity. The problem is that now, and what I can't tell from this paper, is he considering physical activity only formal exercise or is he also considering that as neat? Indeed papers he mentioned like in hunter-gatherers basically this point but even though they are like i don't know walking for hours a day they are still somehow expending just as many calories as a quote-unquote more sedentary yeah well, like i said i don't i actually find I, you know you can criticize me for dismissing a paper out of hand but i don't buy it for a damn second i do not buy that the average person who works at a uh cubicle who goes home and watches TV is walking anywhere close to the amount of a hunter-gatherer on an average day. I don't buy that for a second at face value. I think we're getting into, and I'd have to read the papers, I think we're getting into enormous problems with self-estimation of activity. On uh, Double labor water is, is, I mean, it's possible that the 
that the hunter gatherers that that's absolutely the case. Uh, but I think I, I like I said, unless they did doubly labeled water with the average individual, said I'm I'm not buying it. Hmm. So it says in the paper, quote, people in less socioeconomically developed populations, including subsistence farmers and traditional hunter-gatherers, have total energy expenditure similar to those in more developed populations, despite substantial differences in physical activity. <laughs> now, it's a pretty broad description. Yeah, and like I said, I'm, I, I'm not convinced that I buy it. Like, and even if you look at his original editorial, and this was several years ago, he did posit a couple things that I don't know if they've been examined. One, he pointed out that with conscious effort, and this is, this is I think, part of the key, with po- conscious effort, clearly we can overcome this. We know this for a fact because athletes do it all the time, right? If we consciously decide or put the effort into increasing our need, right, what I think he is looking at, and I might buy this at face value, is that, yeah, it's like with diet. It's like with the food thing, right? We know that left to their own, if people do not, if people exercise, they will just frequently eat more because they are not. Con- but if they consciously control their diet, suddenly exercise works a lot more effectively. If you are simply okay, this is my daily activity, and I'm not going to think about it beyond what I have to do for work. I can buy that the body probably adapts. You go home, you're tired because you've done a lot of work. Uh, then you get people that are forced into that environment, like you. I had a guy this years ago, I got in a fight on my Facebook group because he's like, I don't agree that overweight people can't exercise enough. When I was 15, I worked at a hardware store and was forced to be on my feet for a Right, you are not formal. Dude, you didn't have a choice, right? This is such a terrible comparison. You did. You had to be on your feet eight hours. You lost your job and couldn't afford anything, right? This is not what I'm talking about. And he could never see that he was just this weird. And I am transparent about it. Sorry, like I, I have people messaging me, like, "How do you get your steps? So as a, how do I get mine more? Because I don't have time to do." I'm like, "Okay, but I'm sorry. Like, it's I. I don't go out of my." my way to get these steps and I just simply do my job and this is how much I get in the day. Right, and I think what even Ponser would, would, and again, he also talked about the Tour de France guys and high-level athletes. He's like, clearly for short periods of time, if you're doing an absolute metric pile of exercise and you're fit, which I already talked about, you can surpass this. Now, admittedly, they don't do this forever, but obviously athletes burn thousands of calories a day. So there's it could, it could be that, A, because they're fit, it's... Their neat doesn't go down. Well, I mean, they probably do go home and sit around, but it doesn't matter. The three, if you're if you're training four to five hours hard a day and you are burning several thousand calories, it doesn't matter if your neat goes down by five hundred. You are still in a four thousand calorie deficit, right? You still so like, but it's there. But it is balancing demands. I said maybe if you do six hundred hard calories, you offset it by three hundred. But even with that. Your physical, your total energy expenditure still went up. It's still above where it would be. And I don't think his model, his model is kind of looking at, well, if daily activity, whatever, that's not consciously driven goes up, it may adapt. But even then, it only adapted to a certain point, right? Even his own graphic goes, yeah, it goes up for a while. Because, yeah, if you're having to do, if you work manual labor, right, uh, you're still you're burning a ton of calories. I had a friend who did construction in the winter. It's like, oh yeah, you could eat anything. Fine, you, but if you're working eight hours of manual labor in the cold and burning four thousand calories, and you get home and you rest a little more from five to nine p.m., you're still burning more. It may be constrained within a certain point, above a certain point, 
but to a degree. He also posited, and I think this is the more interesting thing, there may be a genetic set point for this. And I don't know if this, if he's pursued this. Like this was in his original editorial when he first conceptualized this. That this might part like partly explain why some people, when they add exercise or increase NEAT, don't see this big shift. They don't see this big adaptation. Maybe they have a set point for a higher constrained level of activity than someone who gets tired or and does have a lower NEAT unless they very consciously. Like I said, it, that would be an interesting one to pursue because it would make a lot of sense within the context of other things that we know, right? We know that people differ in their response to overfeeding, their response to dieting in terms of how much metabolic rate goes up or goes down, and some people are just genetically screwed. If you look at that, the people who get the biggest metabolic rate boost with overfeeding get the lowest when they diet. It's harder for them to put on weight in Egypt, and then the other people are switched. And it wouldn't surprise me at all because too much of this is related. It's driven by dopamine signaling, which is not only a reward pathway. That's, that's old, old, old paper talked about the neurochemical determinants of NEAT and, and even enjoyment of exercise. And dopamine signaling is a big one. So if you've got a dopamine pathway, it may be screwed up six different ways that may make palatable foods more palatable, may make you less likely to enjoy exercise or less likely to engage in in voluntary NEAT or whatever it is. So some people, and those of us who are active, always forget that. We forget that we enjoy activity. We, in, well, sometimes. We, you know, we love this stuff. We like, we are not, and unfortunately, we train the people by and large that aren't like that. And I think a lot of trainers have no concept. I love training. Yeah, but you wanted to be in the gym suffering since you were 15. If you're a dude or whatever, right? I love training. I love being macro-obsessive, psychotic, right? Your clients don't, and you can't treat them like they do. Because if you do, you'll chase them out, and that's what happens. Right, right. Uh, I think a big issue is is that uh, so much of this activity stuff is like uh, just circumstantial or lifestyle-related or job-related. Like, if you get well, if you have a well-paying job that... Uh, requires you to sit eight hours then hey what are you gonna do like quit your 200k uh, per year job and go work from 60k as a for manual labor job or what like of course there's also the issue is if you are in that socioeconomic status you can hire a trainer to come beat on you at lunch you can hire a trainer to come beat on you at night you've got i saw something and i hate this stuff just bugs me so much it was a it was a business magazine, which of course is written by affluent white folks, and exercise may be better for mental health than low socioeconomic status, right? Basically, exercise is a bigger determinant than being poor. And everybody, including myself, said, here's the thing, when you have to work three jobs to survive, you don't have a lot of time for exercise. Oh, yeah. And I love the list of, here's 10 things that successful people do, read books, Go watch, go do this. Right, because they don't have to work 16 hours a day. This did not make them successful. They can do this because they have money, right? I, I just, that stuff, it, it bugs me so much to see that stuff because I'm like, I, and I just want to tell these people, I see it all the time, right? Jamie Oliver, who needs to be smacked. It's like, oh, poor people just need to go to the, the farmer's market. All right, poor dude, <laughs> I want you to get on the dole or go work a minimum wage job 16 hours a day. Show me. 
Show me, that's the reality show I want to see. Show me that you can afford rent, bills, basic necessities of living, and go pay for food at the farmer's market. Prove to me, like, it would be such a wake-up call for these assholes to have to, somebody did it, a friend of mine told me this story, and it was this couple, she was like extremist vegan gluten, he was whatever, and they were going to prove that it could be done. They were going to prove that you could be on maintenance, like uh, uh, a low-paying job, and do this for a month, and a weekend, they were, a one weekend, they were starving to death because they were out of money, because she was buying food that was tripled. People want to go, oh, you know. Just don't buy. Look, when you can get McDonald's fries and a drink for a dollar thirty-nine and get a thousand calories, you do not get because that's all the money you have. You don't get to afford salad, right? You don't. It's ridiculous. Anyway, so yes, I think there's a huge socioeconomic factor, but it can go both directions, right? It can go if you have a super high-paying job that means you have to sit in front of a computer. Well, that's your life but you probably have the freedom to go to the gym or have a trainer. If you're very poor, you may actually have a very, depending on where you work, like we've got, I'm in, I'm in Texas. We have a lot of manual labors. You know what? They seem to do all right, staying in shape, even regardless of diet, but they're hauling lumber and putting up fences and roofing and doing all that eight hours a day. And then there's this happy middle ground that maybe almost in some way, you know, but if you're poor, you don't have a lot of money and you may be eating a lot of high-calorie, high-palatable food because that's what's there and that's what you've been raised on. And So, yeah, I think his model is interesting. I think it absolutely has some validity at the higher levels. But even his own speculative model is like up to a – I don't think I, – I agree with him. I don't think that physical activity shows a linear increase with total energy expenditure. If you start eating more, you get hungrier, especially if you get leaner. He even said in that paper briefly, you know, body fat percentage and other things play a role, right? There's even papers, the exercise hunger thing. In general, in overweight individuals, not a big effect, but there's huge variability. When you get leaner, suddenly that often stops happening, right? When you're leaner, you're hungry all the time. And exercise may vary because it's having hormonal effects that want to make you not starve to death. So, like, you've got a lot of different variables, and there is still that potential for genetic set point that won't surprise me in the least if it exists. I grew up in a small village, and um, even to this point, like, uh, like I'm in Romania, like, <laughs> and people like to bring up these nostalgic ideas that you know that my grandparents they used to eat like this lard. You have this traditional food, like it's basically just pure fat, and just you smoke it, and uh, it's kind of like bacon, but it's even more fat and just not basically just fat and, and no meat and uh, they ate like a ton of bread and these high fat um, uh, salamis and stuff like that and basically their whole point was but my grandparents used to eat like this many exactly like this many calories and they were all healthy and this and that and I'm like yeah because they woke up at like 5am and they went out to the field and they worked like mad till noon when their wife came out to the field and brought their bucket of food and <laughs> they ate and then they started uh took like 30 minutes off and then they worked again till like seven in the evening and then they got home and ate again and went to sleep and the next day got up at five and repeated the whole process like of course they were lean <laughs> yes and, and we've got that here too everyone is just like oh our grandparents ate 80 percent fat and all these calories and front and all this stuff's like right and they were they worked in the mines and they like they labored all day and um all this stuff and it's like you can't make it uh, it's so dumb 
So yeah, I, I, you know, yes, people just keep forgetting even with evolutionary stuff. It's like we live in a completely different environment. Um, so whatever. Um, yeah. I th so yeah, I think, like I said, I think there's merit to both models. Certainly. I, I, I think, I don't see that they necessarily contradict one another because Ponzer, I don't think is saying that any increase in physical activity will cause a constraint to bring it back to baseline, but above a certain point, you probably, and I think that's just the real world. Yeah. What I did, what I didn't, don't like about that message. Um, and I think he, he mentioned this that he doesn't want this to be taken as well you might even just not bother exercising because he said that exercise still has a ton of benefits it's just that for the sake of energy expenditure i guess it's not the best which i agree that it's easier to control what you eat or easier to create a deficit that way yeah no I, and i certainly don't disagree with that like i if he you know he's falling into the tobs trap i think and tobs has said that it was like oh exercise doesn't work because you just eat more yeah and if you actually look at the studies your appetite almost well on average does not increase food intake to the point that it offsets the exercise it certainly reduces the deficit and in some people uh, there's it, it. Some people do gain and, and do gain weight when it happens. But again, we're looking at an uncontrolled diet situation, and this idea that exercise does nothing. You know, it changes the composition of what's lost over time. You know, that, all that stuff. So, so the conclusion that oh, adding exercise because the studies don't show that they just don't. They show that up to a point, adding so many calories of exercise does increase total energy expenditure by about that much. If you go above that. There's an adaptation, but it's still not sufficient to offset the increase. You still get a net increase. I don't think I've ever seen anything showing that it becomes completely flat because I don't think it's possible. If you're capable of doing a thousand calories of exercise, which means you're super fit and training super hard, I would love to see the paper that shows that some other component of your meta of energy expenditure decreases by a thousand calories, and it doesn't because it doesn't exist. If anything happens, your food intake might go up, whether consciously or unconsciously. I would love to see that study. I just used myself as an example. Like, I, uh, memory came up like from I think two or three years ago when I was, I was proud when I got like fifty thousand steps in a week. Like, I know how much I was eating. I was, I was cutting on what twenty four hundred calories maybe. And now I'm at twenty thousand, and I, I can probably eat at three thousand, thirty two hundred, and be in a deficit. So there you go, six, seven, eight hundred calorie difference. I mean, <laughs> that's just just activity. Yeah, and like and like I said, it's neat. Neat is really where the difference. You know, yeah. And I taught you know, you will see differences that magnitude in at like mainly endurance athletes. Like an endurance cyclist might do an hour spin, or they might do a five hour ride with intervals. You will see some pretty significant daily shifts, but that's that's a that's a formal activity thing, and that's just got to do with their training sequence. There's a there's one case study I talked about in the women's book, and we could probably move on. And it was. Uh, Louise Burke at, in the AIS. And Louise Burke is this amazing researcher, sports nutritionist. She's, she's who I want to be when I grow up. She's just phenomenal. Um, and they did a case study. It was a female cyclist that got hurt and lost a lot of, you know, gained, lost some muscle, gained body fat, you know, and then she needed to get back into shape for her competition season. And they, I mean, they did everything right. She is actually on like 1.6 grams per pound of protein, like 3.5 kilos grams per kilo, like more than even I would recommend. They put her on, she, she targeted a moderate deficit of like, uh, whatever her energy availability was. She made sure and had, you know, 
couple more servings of protein, some dairy protein after her hard workout. She did the low-intensity stuff fasted. Let's not get into that. She did on the harder workout. She did, she did you know, around workout nutrition. She had some protein at bedtime. Like I said, Louise Burke, she's got it. She knows her stuff. And what you saw was the, her calorie intake was really high for a fairly small cyclist, but towards the end of her training, she was doing two five-hour bike rides a week on top of, you know, four other days of training, weights twice a week. And I'm like, right, when you do that, your calorie expenditure can be super, like, I'm sure on those training days, 3,500 calories or 3,000 calories was probably her deficit, like, that was her deficit day. Like, she was probably still in a deficit, but when you're burning you know, at the low end, 2,000 calories in a five-hour workout, yeah, you get to eat all the food and still be dieting. It's just most people can't do that, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, and that's just reality. I mean, people, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. Like, people are have a high-paying job. They want to be that guy who is, like, active all day. But when you're active all day, usually it means that, you know, it's usually either means that, uh, you are unemployed or you are young or you usually have some sort of low-paying job because most high-paying jobs are usually doesn't involve you running on your feet all day. <laughs> so. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Absolutely. And the, and the guy who is like a pizza delivery guy or whatever he is, he all he wants to do is sit in a cubicle and get a nice paying job in a stay in a suit. So <laughs> there is always something to complain about. Oh, sure. No, yeah, no, absolutely. And of course, when you deliver pizza, you get to eat pizza at the store. Okay, so that was episode 32 of the Muscle Engineer podcast with Lyle McDonald. And it was also the part two of three of this episode I recorded with him. So look forward to the third part coming out in two weeks from now. Now, as usual, I want to leave you guys with some of my own takeaways and key messages or lessons of the episode. The first of which is the pretty much established fact that there's really, outside of medical conditions, there is no, no such thing as a slow metabolism like the reason why perhaps you are not losing weight or the reason why you are having to consume fewer calories than someone with the similar stats, so to speak, is not because they have a faster metabolism. Now, there are, of course, some inter-individual differences, but those account to maybe 10 to 15%. So we see a 10 to 15% variation between people, which is not nothing, not zero, it's also not the huge fact that people make it out to be. So what's the reason? It's neat. It's a very neat reason <laughs> to uh, make a very bad pun. Basically, the stuff that we discussed towards the end of the episode, the occupational energy expenditure, that's what differentiates people usually. So if you see someone who is your height, your weight, but they maintain on higher calories, you can be uh, more than certain that they probably have a job or a lifestyle that requires them or allows them to get in a high number of steps. Now, usually it's a necessity, like we mentioned there, but sometimes it's a choice. Point number two is on the role of activity uh, for fat loss. And that is to say that it is absolutely helpful. There is a reason why bodybuilders do cardio, for example. It is helpful, but it's not additive necessarily that means that 
if you have been, let's say, eating 3000 calories and you stopped losing weight, if you then add in 500 calories of cardio per day, then that doesn't mean that it for sure will yield a 500 calorie uh, deficit because you simply might compensate by moving less so that 500 might be more like 350. And it's also, it's not unlimited. So, and this was basically Herman Ponzer's point uh, that activity you can add onto your daily routine but you cannot add unlimited amounts of it and you cannot expect for your energy expenditure to increase linearly with that. There will be sort of a sweet spot. So you have to find the sweet spot for you where that activity that you add uh, into your daily routine is actually worth the energy expenditure because you simply might find that by removing the cardio, for example, you are simply have more energy to move throughout the day and you accomplish the same thing without the mental burden of you know, doing cardio. And the third and final point, which is more of an actionable one, is to establish a baseline for yourself. That means that you gotta have a device, usually or ideally a bracelet or something that you wear with yourself all day because your phone, it's hopefully not with you all day, so that's not as reliable. But a watch or a bracelet, something like that, and uh, you track your steps and you see how many steps you take each day and you try to standardize it. And that will be very helpful when you're trying to lose weight, when you're trying to gain weight, that kind of stuff, because it allows you to uh, sort of control the variables and then adjust your diet as needed. And also this allows you, of course, to adjust it um, as needed. Meaning, let's say you've been doing 10,000 steps and now you feel like you don't really want to lower your calories further, then you can simply increase those steps to 12,000 or 15,000. Now, of course, there are practical realities with this. Like if you work 10 hours per day in an office, you probably won't have time to do this, but it is what it is. We all have our our, uh, unique challenges. So these are just some ideas to play with or to think about. So I hope these were helpful. I hope you enjoyed the episode and look forward to the next one coming out as soon as possible. Take care.